Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, June 21st. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Tropical storm Claudette leaving more than a dozen people dead in its wake as the storm batters the Gulf Coast. The COVID-19 vaccination rate in the United States taking higher, but can the White House hit their goal of 70% with at least one shot? And the Biden administration turning its efforts to a major child tax credit that is set to launch in just weeks. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. Deadly storm Claudette gaining strength today as it roared off the coast of the Carolinas. Claudette's death toll now stands at 13 after the storm system battered several Gulf states across the south, triggering tornadoes, destroying homes and causing a tragic car accident in Alabama, killing multiple children. Claudette is moving up the southeast, hitting the Carolinas after leaving a trail of destruction this weekend and over a dozen people dead. Some areas along the Gulf seeing up to two inches of rain per hour. Residents in Slidell, Louisiana, now assessing the damage. I can't believe this. Louisiana's governor, John Bell Edwards, declaring a state of emergency and offering state resources to aid in storm response efforts. It was kind of crazy last night. It was falling pretty bad. Meanwhile, in Alabama, flash floods pouring through roads. In East Bruton, a tornado ripped through this neighborhood. At least 50 homes damaged or destroyed. Now what stands is a pile of debris. Many residents just thankful to be alive. This loud noise came and I went flying out the door on the couch. The National Weather Service now says that an EF2 tornado tore through this area with an estimated 127 mile per hour winds, 20 people injured. The storm is also being linked to a car crash. A hydroplaning car triggered a chain reaction accident on a highway in Alabama, multiple vehicles crashing into each other, killing eight girls ages four to 17. A 29-year-old man and his nine-month-old baby were also killed in the horrific accident. In Atlanta, firefighters rescuing a woman from this car early Sunday after it was crushed by this massive tree and power lines. The woman transported to the hospital with injuries. Today, the storm system is expected to move off the Carolinas coast. The storm is expected to continue moving into the Atlantic Ocean and then will likely head towards Nova Scotia. Meanwhile, yet another weekend of gun violence reported in six states, bringing the total number of U.S. mass shootings to over 280 so far this year. Grecia Lastra has more. Another deadly weekend in the U.S. with even more mass shootings and gun violence incidents. Overnight, a shooting in Minneapolis that left five people injured. And in Colorado Springs, two separate shootings less than a mile apart Friday night. 
One shooting erupted at a mall carnival and the other outside a restaurant. Five people total, including three young people, ended up in the hospital. The specifics of each incident vary, but all three tell the same story, the terrifying normalcy of gun violence. A mass shooting is defined as four or more people shot, excluding the shooter. That has happened 280 times across the country since the beginning of 2021 according to the Gun Violence Archive. That's about 40% more than at this point in 2020 and 65 more than 2019. That type of violence has been surging through the pandemic. And now in 2021, we're really seeing those numbers rise. And we can think about how the pandemic has increased stress, increased frustration, added to things like job loss and trauma and isolation. And we know all of that has an impact on gun violence. In Chicago, a mass shooting early Tuesday morning left four people dead and another four injured. Among those killed, 19-year-old Shermitra Williams, who was supposed to attend her high school graduation. Unfortunately, Chicago is not unique. We are part of a club to which, of cities to which no one wants to belong cities with mass shootings. Across the country in Arizona, a single suspect was arrested in connection to eight different shootings in the Phoenix metro area that had left one person dead and at least 12 others injured by gunfire or hit by shrapnel. A warning that the following video is disturbing to watch. We usually only see the aftermath of these terrifying incidents. But in the Bronx, surveillance cameras captured an attack on Thursday and children caught in the crossfire. Though the children were not shot and the victim is in stable condition, it serves as a stark reminder of the violence an increasing number of Americans are confronting. This is Grecia Lastra reporting for U News. Now to Washington, where the White House has designated June 21st as Child Tax Credit Awareness Day to ensure eligible families know about the expansion of the benefit and how to access it. Edwin Piti has the latest details on this from the White House. Edwin. That's right. We know that the American Rescue Plan increased in, um, made even higher the child tax credit. And today the White House is looking deep into it to make sure that all the families across across the country that qualify for it, they have the information. We know the, um, that price went from 2,000 to 3,000 for children between the ages of six and 17, and for children below that age is 3,600. But now, even though many families will receive that money automatically because they filed taxes in 2019 and also on 2020, there are many families who live under the line of poverty that do not uh, qualified to even file taxes. Now the White House is directing them to a new website for them to have even more information and go to the IRS to be able to file the paper that they need in order to benefit from this money. The website is childtaxcredit.gov. Right there, you will be able to see all the information you know, as much as how much, uh, how much money you will be able to get, and also according to the ages of your children, when you will get it. Now, it is important to note that families across the U.S. will not get this money immediately as far as one check. The payment will be divided in two. The first one will be six monthly payments starting July 15 all the way until the end of the year. And then the second part of the money will be at the, at the end of the year when people file their 2021 taxes. Live at the White House, back to you. 
Thank you, Edwin, for that report from Washington, D.C. Useful information for so many families out there. And also out of Washington, for the first time, the VA will make gender confirmation surgery available to transgender veterans. The approval of gender confirmation benefits is seen as part of the effort to make the rights of LGBTQ plus individuals a priority. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin repealed the Trump era ban on most transgender people serving in the military after Biden took office. The National Center for Transgender Equality estimates there are 134,000 transgender veterans. The rate of adults with at least one dose of the coronavirus vaccine surpassing 65% over the weekend. But the country is still far from reaching the Biden administration's goal of 70% with just two weeks left to go before the deadline. Meanwhile, the threat of the Delta variant growing as more states see cases. Lorraine Gassides has more details. Nearly 45% of the U.S. population is now fully vaccinated against the coronavirus. What we're seeing is a truly American accomplishment. 65%, 65% of American adults have gotten at least one shot, including 87% of our seniors. The CDC reporting almost 150 million people in the U.S. have gotten their shots. With two weeks left before the deadline, nationwide, 65.4 percent of residents have received at least one dose. 16 states have already reached President Biden's goal to vaccinate 70 percent of adults with at least one dose. Virginia, the latest state to join the list. Many have also vaccinated more than half of their residents. Folks. We're heading into a very different summer compared to last year. A bright summer, faithfully a summer of joy. Michigan opening up Tuesday and Ohio ending its COVID-19 emergency declaration. We have basically lifted uh, almost all of the orders. In New York City, Yankee Stadium hosting its first full capacity game Friday, something that hasn't happened since October of 2019. And West Virginia lifting its indoor mask requirements this past weekend. More than half of adults there have gotten at least one dose of the vaccine. Today I am announcing we are targeting our state's 158th birthday on June 20th that we're going to get rid of these masks. But despite the progress, the pandemic is not over. And the truth is that deaths and hospitalizations are drastically down in places where people are getting vaccinated. But unfortunately, cases and hospitalizations are not going down in many places in the lower vaccination rate states. They're actually going up in some places. The Delta variant, which recently ravaged India and has become dominant in the UK, now threatening to cause a wave of infections in the US in the fall. I anticipate that will be the predominant variant in the months ahead. The Delta variant has now been detected in at least 45 states and the CDC estimating it already accounts for 10% of new cases in the U.S. The Biden administration hitting the road aggressively to hopefully boost vaccination rates. The vice president visiting Georgia on Friday where only about 41% of the population is fully vaccinated. And states like Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, Wyoming, Louisiana, these are the states that have vaccinated, fully vaccinated, less than 35% of their population. And experts say these are the states to watch 
if a Delta variant wave of cases appears in the fall. Meanwhile, the CDC is meeting this week to hopefully determine if and when booster shots will be needed to prevent future outbreaks. Back to you, Andrea. Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. Now let's go to Dr. Anand Swaminathan, emergency medicine physician in Westfield, New Jersey. Thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to you, News Doctor. Thank you for having me. So Scott Gottlieb, the former commissioner of the FDA, said this weekend that the Delta variant may become the dominant strain in the U.S. by the fall. What are you most concerned about? I think there are two different concerns with this particular variant. We know that it spreads faster. We don't really have a lot of information about whether it causes more severe disease, although there's some emerging evidence on that. There's an immediate concern, and that immediate concern pertains to those places where vaccine rates are low. They're going to see immediate surges in cases. They're going to see surges in hospitalizations, and they will see surges in deaths as well. So those states that are under 50% of adults vaccinated, places like Arkansas, Missouri, where they're already seeing upticks in cases, those cases are going to skyrocket in the next couple of months. And this is coming at a time where we're relaxing a lot of our public health mandates. It's really kind of a perfect storm for this to blow up. There's also a delayed effect that we have to look at as well, because as that Delta variant spreads through people who aren't vaccinated, it is more likely to create other variants. And that's a problem because we know right now our vaccines are extremely effective if you get both doses in preventing you from getting the Delta variant. But if the Delta variant continues to spread, other variants could emerge, which threatens everybody else. So where I am in New Jersey, I'm not terribly worried that we're going to see a surge in cases of Delta. But I'm worried that down the line, we could see other variants that start emerging as Delta spreads in other parts of the country. You did mention that the Delta strain is more contagious than the original COVID-19 virus. How much more contagious is it? And do we have to look out for similar symptoms? The symptoms are going to be about the same. And, and that's the, the good thing about Delta is it's not going to be difficult for us to identify patients. It's going to be the same symptoms that we've seen with all of the other variants. How much more contagious is hard to say. But when you look at places like the UK and India, where cases skyrocketed extremely quickly, we know that it is considerably more infectious, even than the variant that came out of the UK, which is now the dominant strain in the US. And the numbers at the beginning of this last weekend was somewhere between 10 and 13% of cases were Delta. The most recent thing I saw is that that's up to 19% of those that are sequenced. That's a big jump already. So we're going to see this really take off in the next couple of weeks to month in places that are under vaccinated. And, and again, that's the key. If you're in a place now where you can get the vaccine, which should be pretty much everybody, get it now because it takes five to six weeks before you're fully vaccinated against these variants. The first dose is not enough. I want to stay on this topic of people that are under vaccinated or states that are under vaccinated like Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee and Wyoming. They have fully vaccinated only around 35 percent of residents. So what are the risks to nearby states? Meaning we are now in the summer travel season later on the fall, perhaps some people also traveling for the holidays. What could this mean? Well, it means that people are going to be bringing this back to where they're coming from, where they're traveling from. And, you know, you quoted numbers in the 30 percent range. That's statewide. We know that there are counties where rates are even lower, where they're in the 20 percent. And some of those, like in Missouri, are in places that are hot vacation spots. So that means people are going to be coming from other parts there. 
there, if the Delta variant picks up in those areas, they have lots of cases, it means that it's more likely for people to get infected, even those who are vaccinated to get infected, and then they're going to bring it back to wherever they traveled from. So there's really a, a lot of dangers here. And if cases surge, we're going to see shutdowns again. I think we're going to have to see that if cases start to spike. So there's really a lot of danger with uh, seeing these spikes in certain places where we know people are going to be traveling to. Now let's talk more about a potential new vaccine. The Novavax shot is showing promising results in trials. This would be the fourth vaccine available here in the U.S. What are researchers saying about it and why is it important to have a fourth vaccine? The Novavax looks highly effective. 100% reduction in serious cases. And that's the most important number because if you get a little sniffle or a little cough, but you recover, it's not that we don't care, but it's less important to that individual person. So 100% for serious disease, 90% for symptomatic cases. We still need to see all of the data here, but what we wanna know are things like asymptomatic reductions, what the efficacy is against the Delta variant. But right now the Novavax looks like a great addition to the three vaccines we have. And in the US, the Novavax might not have a huge impact immediately. There might be some use for Novavax down the line as a booster, but immediately in the US, I don't think we're gonna see a lot of benefit from that. It's gonna be a huge impact globally though, because now we have another maker that can ramp up production to get more vaccines to other places in the world because we can't effectively fight this pandemic unless everybody's vaccinated. Now we just gotta get that message out there. Thanks so much for your time, Dr. Anand Swaminathan emergency medicine physician in New Jersey. Take care. Thank you. Meanwhile, the U.S. is following Canada's lead to restrict non-essential travel across the northern border until July 21st due to the pandemic. On Sunday, the Department of Homeland Security extended COVID-19 non-essential travel restrictions at border crossings with both Canada and Mexico. It's not known if the restriction on travel by land or ferry crossings between the U.S. for Canada or Mexico will extend beyond July 21st. Now to the state of California, which is enhancing its vaccine records, providing residents with a more secure method of registering that they've received the coronavirus shot. Ana de Mendoza explains how. I said to myself, if I lose the card, at least I have a picture that I took. I had it and I lost it and I was looking for it because I bought a cover, but I couldn't find it. If, like Francina Melgar, your COVID-19 vaccination card has been lost or damaged, you no longer have to worry in the state of California. That's because the state launched a digital version of vaccination records. That's good because now I'll have my chance to get it. People can apply for the digital COVID-19 vaccination card by logging on to myvaccinerecord.cdph.ca.gov. They only have to enter their name, date of birth, email or phone number and create a four-digit password. They can use it if they go to mass events like a baseball or soccer game, if they go to a concert or if their employer asks for it. After registering, you will receive a QR code that contains the same information that is on your vaccination card. This digital card, it is more secure and it's harder to counterfeit. For many, it is a more convenient method of proving they are vaccinated. I have a notification on my phone in case I don't have my card, and I can show it on my cell phone. 
Almicar Fuentes registered immediately, as for months he was constantly on the lookout for his card. It's more convenient, it's more practical, because the little card got damaged, and it is not that convenient, it is better online. Reported by Romy de Frias, Ana de Mendoza, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. U News covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. The Senate is set to vote soon on whether to advance the For the People Act, a sweeping elections overhaul that would, among other things, make Election Day a public holiday, expand early voting, and ban partisan gerrymandering. The bill doesn't have Republican support, but Democratic lawmakers are hoping to come to some sort of compromise. Democrats believe the bill would counteract efforts by Republican-led state legislatures to restrict voting rights. In the meantime, more than 100,000 names will be removed from Georgia's voter registration rolls. The voter files being removed are said to be obsolete and outdated. This is the first time Georgia has enforced a major purge of voter rolls since the year 2019. But the state does regularly remove felons and those who have passed away. In March, Georgia's Governor Brian Kemp signed a law that imposes voter ID requirements for absentee ballots and reduces the number of ballot boxes in large counties. It also shortens the length of runoff elections. 13 other states have enacted nearly two dozen laws that restrict ballot access since the 2020 election. And out west, Amon Bundy, the rancher who led an armed occupation of federal land in Oregon, has announced he's running for governor of Idaho. Bundy drew national headlines in 2016 when he led an armed occupation of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge in Oregon. The siege lasted 41 days and ended in an intense standoff with police that left one person dead. Bundy and 15 others were indicted by a federal grand jury, but he was later acquitted. A drama is unfolding in the desert as migrants defy the extreme heat to cross from Mexico to the United States. But as Jonathan Mejia explains, this is the most dangerous time of the year because of the scorching heat and the critical lack of water. Please help us, because we really can't stand it any longer. We don't have a drop of water. We are two people. We don't have anything. We're dying out. That is a cry for help made by a Mexican migrant in the Arizona desert to a volunteer from the Desert Eagles organization. The woman and her companion were alone without water in the midst of over 100 degree temperatures. If you can tell them to help us with some water because we are dehydrated and we can't even talk. Eli Ortiz of Desert Eagles says that calls for help are coming from everywhere at all times of the day. They called us directly, and we didn't want to extend the call too long in order to preserve their battery. We can hear an ambulance coming. I imagine they're coming this way. 
Minutes later, U.S. Border Patrol agents located and extracted the migrants and took them to a hospital where they were treated for dehydration. Border Patrol says rescues have increased in the last weeks. In this week of record temperatures, we have reached approximately 40 emergency calls. It's a dangerous trip that could be fatal. That's what happened to this man who died on the Tohono O'odham Reservation in Arizona. In the video, another migrant mentions that apparently he was traveling sick and suddenly stopped breathing. Although they tried to revive him, they were unable to. I won't come again. Reported by Oscar Gomez in the Arizona desert, Jonathan Mejia, U News. In Texas, hundreds of families embraced along the Rio Grande on Saturday near the U.S.-Mexico border. In the last eight years, the Hugs Not Walls event allows Mexican immigrants with regular or irregular status and unable to return to Mexico an opportunity to meet with their families for a few minutes on the riverbed that marks the dividing line. The event is hosted by the Border Network for Human Rights. This year, almost 200 families attended this big reunion. And all the while, the Rio Grande Valley continues to see an influx of migrants attempting to cross the border into the United States. Jorge Hernandez brings us the latest on the dangers along that stretch of the frontier. Equipped with night vision, binoculars and scanners, this Star County Sheriff's Sergeant in Rome, Texas, keeps a close eye on the border along the Rio Grande. While he helps U.S. Border Patrol agents monitor and apprehend people trying to cross undetected. A couple of miles away, dozens of migrants are still crossing in rafts to seek asylum. I am fleeing poverty, hunger and threats. In this part of the border with Texas, migrants continue to cross in large numbers like this 30-year-old Honduran father traveling with his wife and four-year-old daughter. What are those tears about? From what we have suffered on the road. Wilson Antonio told us that a few days ago he turned 30 years old on his journey through Mexico, and it was his saddest birthday. No, I didn't eat anything that day because we didn't have any money. We had already run out of what little we had. These three young Guatemalan girls came in another group by themselves. One of them was carrying the Bible because it gave her peace of mind to read it, she told us. It makes me feel very safe. Unlike in the past months, this time we found that more children and families from other countries such as Ecuador and Nicaragua are crossing through this area, which was not very common before. I feel happy. Thank God I'm here. Yes. In other parts of the Rio Grande Valley, we also find groups of migrants with children who continue to cross. But it is undoubtedly Rome, Texas, where most of them continue to cross in search of asylum. Reported by Pedro Ultreras at the U.S.-Mexico border, this is Jorge Hernandez, U News. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.